Hi, good morning and welcome to Boom, it's on the blockchain. Uh, we're here today again to discuss what's the latest developments in the blockchain and crypto market. And I'm joined today by our co-host Garrett. How are you, Garrett? I'm doing good. I'm doing good today. Perfect. So that's it. Six months of the year officially ends today. Believe it or not, we've managed to halfway through 2022. 2023 is just round the corner. And wow. today, frightening how time's going there as well. But, uh, <laughs> you know, as time marches on, one disaster to the next. But like, let's talk about our first thing today then, Garrett. Let's just bring up what we're going to speak about is Bitcoin. So let me bring the first thing in is the Bitcoin price. So let's just bring to the this article in Cointelegraph today. So Bitcoin nears worst monthly losses since 2011 with Bitcoin price at 19,000. So what are your thoughts on this thing, Garrett? Well, I think uh, I think there's more downside to this, unfortunately. Um, you know, that's mainly just due to you know, I, I looked at I was looking at the charts earlier. I was looking at, you know, where support really does end up falling. Um, and it's, you know, it could be, you know, 12 to 13 K is where support really is. Um, you know, seeing as we already tested, I think it almost, almost, almost broke 17, but it didn't break 17 recently, you know, when it dropped down. Yeah, it was down 18. Um, you know, it painted the wick down, but it did not break 17. This time around, I think, um, you know, the order of businesses, I mean, I'll, I'll see you at 16K, uh, it's probably lower, but that's uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, that that's looking like where it will end up. Yeah, let's just bring up this chart. Well, we've got the charts coming up here as well. So, so I don't know if you can see that, but there's the Bitcoin price essentially come down there from, you know, in the last year where it's like at one point, you know, we're up there close over 50 this last six months. And then now oh, yeah. it's come right down. Now it's right now at 19,190, you know? I think for people out there, if they're looking at the NASDAQ, you know, and I believe Bitcoin follows pretty close to the markets now as well. You know, if you're looking at the, the NASDAQ over the last, you know, this is going over the last thing, three months. And again, or it's actually been longer than six months. You know, again, you're coming down from a high of like 15,800. Now it's just down at 11,000. You know, is it going to go lower than yeah. that? It's already been down to what this month's 10,600. So it's stabilized a little bit, but, you know, in the coming weeks, you know, when we start to focus on the recession, which will come back up more and more in the news now, because for people to understand, you need two quarters of negative growth. So unless something miraculous happens between now and five o'clock this afternoon, Garrett, I'm afraid to say we're going to have two quarters of negative growth, people. And that is the recession, you know, and they, they can talk about stagflation. They can talk about high inflation that's affecting everyone that's coming in there, you know, inflation at 11%. If you look at Turkey, inflation's at 70%. Um, you don't really want to be living out there, living on their local money anymore right now because it's going higher and higher. Different if you're in there and you're staying at the resorts because you're still paying everything in euros and US dollars. Well, mostly euros. And that's because that's where all the Germans go on their holidays. But a lot of the British go there as well, vacation as well, golfing holidays. So when you start to think about that, you know, multiple other places with inflation going higher and higher, gas remaining high, you know, things go forward. Bitcoin is just going to follow suit with the rest of the financial markets, unfortunately. It no longer operates out with, you know, give a bit of insight to why people thought originally it was going to operate out with the markets, Garrett. Well, it, it was following for some time. It was following the S&P 500 pretty closely. You know, there was um, obviously a mania phase, but there is a, a phase where it does follow the S&P. And um, I think that's proving to not be as true as, you know, if you look at the MRI indicators for, um, I think it's like, what is it, 200, 100, and I think 60 days or something, something like that. We're almost about to have a convergence between the, you know, I think 60 and 100 day. And that 
is uh, that's not good. That is uh, not a good thing. And, um, you know, it, it it's inclined to do that. It's inclined to that direction. It could change, you know, maybe it evades it, you know, by a thin margin. But when I look at those um, those indicators, it's a, it's not looking good. You know, for the short term, I, I think in the long term, very bullish, very, very bullish. But, you know, you have to factor in, you know, some of that's caused by inflation. Some of that's going to be due to a having, you know, the supply having. And, uh, you know, I think there's probably, you know, a couple more runs that are, you know, very, uh, they're going to be very big for Bitcoin. And, uh, but right now, you know, we're dealing with some reversal that's, you know, it's bigger than just crypto. It's a lot of other stuff out there as well. Yeah. And I think for people also think about, you know, Bitcoin's now operating within the economy. So, you know, we've spoken about in previous podcasts how, you know, now certain countries are starting to accept Bitcoin. And obviously El Salvador is is a key one. But uh, they're now accepting it as their national currency. You know, you can go down to the mall now. There's a Bitcoin machine. You can go to different countries. You can start to pay in Bitcoin. People are accepting Bitcoin there. People are starting to understand it. You've got all the big sort of um, funds, etc. now holding a certain percentage, you know, a small percentage of their assets now in Bitcoin as well. And people are starting to buy it as a, an asset class as well. So, you know, it's not just the technology of what Bitcoin's brought to the market space and development of blockchain. It's going to be here for the long term and you'll find certain, you know, if you, if you go look at some of the NASDAQ shares just now, you know, you look at someone like Snap which is, you know, their stock price is completely tanked as well over the last year. So it's, you know, and there's multiple ones on the NASDAQ of, you know, tanked a lot more than other people. And, you know, Bitcoin is just going alongside this. So, you know, the next thing we were going to speak about today as well is stable coins, Gary. So let's bring up stable coins. So just to give everyone a bit of insight, Gary, you know, go over how stable coins work. And what are the key indicators with them? Yeah, so, um, you know, when it comes to stable coins, there are the ones like uh, Tether or USDC, which are, um, you know, they make various claims about being reserve backed. So they're saying that, hey, we've got something in the case of Tether. It's a lot of commercial paper, um, you know, which is uh, legally viewed as a cash equivalent. I think USDC has a lot higher cash reserves than things like the Gemini dollar or the you know, they say back one-to-one and, you know, they're U.S., so they have to, you know, uh, practice what they preach. But there's another genre of stable coins, which uh, a lot of people have become more acquainted with here, uh, like UST, Luna. You know, the Luna thing, that was an algorithmic stable coin. And, um, you know, when there was attack an attack on the parent network, the Luna network, the UST, the Terra USD, uh, fell to becoming worth nothing. So... You know, not, not to say that an algorithmic stablecoin couldn't work in the future. I actually do think that um, if you were to do something like a digital dollar, you'd have to implement a strategy just like that because it's, you know, um, that, that's what you would need is you'd need, uh, you know, a strategy where you have an algorithm and the algorithm is trustworthy and there's parameters for inflation there's parameters for deflation you know you'd need something uh like that that can expand and contract as an economy does uh, to promote growth uh you know but that that basically is a stable coins in a nutshell you know whether they're a good or a bad thing that's um we'll have to see where that all ends up but yeah so and we'll bring this article up today that was uh in CNBC. So IMF head says stable coins not backed by assets are a pyramid hinting at UST debacle that crash markets. So that is accurate. You know, yeah. it's, that's accurate. Yeah. And it, but, you know, we, we've been involved in talking about the oil coin concept. So essentially, you're creating a stable coin for a market space. Now, the advantage of having something like an oil coin or an asset backed stable coin is. The fact that it starts to take away friction of the current financial systems. 
So yes. if you're thinking of friction in oil and gas, so if you're looking at, you know, a lot of the oil projects that where we get large amounts of our oil right now are in countries in the world where they don't have stable financial systems. So if you look at places like Iraq, you know, Syria, going out to other places in the Middle East, into Africa, you know, normally these banks in these countries, they're not like Bank of America, they're not like Chase, you know, these are small provincial banks. And generally, the the big oil companies or the people operating there don't want their money to be going through their banking systems. The other thing that sort of happens with this is the fact that the money transfer. So if you're looking for money transfer, and it comes back in what Bitcoin was able to do was to transfer money anywhere in the world from A to B, avoiding banking transaction fees and avoiding international transaction currency fluctuations and fees as well. So in the same way, if you're going abroad and vacation, most people just use their card nowadays. But generally, if you used to go abroad, you would go in, you would change your money. Do I get a good rate here? Do I get a better one at the post office? Everyone knows you don't get such a good rate when you change at the airport. There's also a fee involved in doing that as well. So there's like $20 to change this money. So you, you get stung in this one to travel with that currency. Suddenly, even when you're using your card, if you've got your Bank of America card and you go into a different country and you use your card there, like if I'm back in the UK, I get nailed with an extra $3 charge. So for having the privilege of using my money in the UK system, the Bank of America is going to basically do that. So what a stable coin can do is it allows this friction, it becomes frictionless. So suddenly it's like, why are we paying these fees to these banks? And then why are we paying fees to transact money? So if money was going to go to Iraq under the traditional system is, it could leave from New York, the money can go to London, it can go from London, it can either go to Zurich, usually then at that point it'll go out to Dubai, and then Dubai to Baghdad. Or it might go through Lebanon, but it'll probably go through four or five banks if you were getting money transferred back from Iraq to, to US or US to Iraq. Every single bay the money moves along the procession is you actually lose a little bit of money each time. So it's not like the money appears there straight away. Uh, under the old process, this could take five to seven days. And these are five to seven business days of money transferring across. So you might do a deal. You've got the deal that's done out there in Iraq. There's the check. It's put in the bank. And now we're going to go through multiple banks and clearing houses to transfer this money for you to get it back here. And if it's in the US, sometimes you don't get it straight away because it hits the, uh, the bank in New York. And then it could be a day later, depending on when it arrives to come into the bank in San Diego. So if you start to think about that as, well, wait a minute, it's my money and I've got access to the money. You know, I can probably still going to get taxed on that money if it's a deal bringing money into the country, but I'm going to lose a transaction fee all the way. And every single bank takes a small transaction fee to move that money on to the next person. And if that money has to change in currency along the way as well, you can get nailed with currency charges as well. So when people start to think about the technology, what the blockchain has done and what Bitcoin sort of developed is this ability to transact money instantaneously anywhere in the world, avoiding all those fees. And this is obviously something that the banks don't like. And it's obviously something governments don't like as well, because governments feel they can't control that because everything coming through the banks and they've got control over the, the, the huge banks, then suddenly they prefer this type of method. But in going forward, people are starting to understand that. So people with their Bitcoin wallet says, if you go traveling anywhere in the world and that person accepts Bitcoin, then you can use your Bitcoin money to pay for a taxi, to pay to go into Starbucks in Venezuela and buy your Starbucks in the, the uh, Bitcoin. Now, why would you want to do that? Because of the ease of actually using it. And then if you're avoiding the transaction fees again, it just simplifies the whole process. So you think back when we originally start looking at the oil and gas industry, you know, and I was on Jeffrey Kahn's podcast speaking about this, and we were speaking about somewhere between three to $400 billion a year. That's what he reckons the cost of financial charges lost in the oil and gas sector. It's, you know, they, they say 200 billion. Jeffrey Kahn thinks it's a lot higher than that. But you're thinking that's three, $400 billion a year 
that's lost in purely financial transaction fees. So if you've got a stable coin underpinning the entire oil industry and all the major operators start to use this, then what you're going to find is that this is actually a better system than the current one we use. Now, it's going to be driven by the major operators because they're the ones who are going to have to use it for everyone else to use it. Or you right. might end up finding someone like Gazprom, which they've been spoken about quite a few times that they'll want to create their own version of an oil stable coin that they want to be paid in. So rather than paying Gazprom in the rubles, you're going to pay Gazprom in the Gazprom coin, which is essentially, you know, the big Russian oil and gas company. Now, you know, we've done sanctions against Russia. We've started to try to cut some of their gas supply. US was cut. We cut their gas supply into Europe. But India has just jumped straight in there. And then they are just buying up all the, as much gas and oil as they can get because they're opening multiple new sort of coal facilities and other power plants that need to be powered as part of their industrial revolution. So I don't think Russia going forward is going to have any problem at all is selling any of their gas because there's so many customers out there. And if they turn around and they say, we want to be paid in our version of this stable coin, you know, that's the type of people where it would actually work. And then the IMF would have to backtrack. Well, they've already said it. Then if you look at this, you know, the, the IMF said stable coins not backed by assets. But if Gazprom backs it against all their gas supply, then it's bound to work, Garrett, you know? What are your thoughts on all that, Garrett? Yeah, it's, um, you know, you would you'd need a strong backer like that to, um, to be successful with a strategy to, uh, you know, to undertake something like that. Um, when it comes to, you know, like the situation with, uh, you know, Gazprom, you know, there's a lot of companies in the West that will no longer touch that anymore. But, uh, you know, I think that they still have a lot of opportunity with more localized, I guess, you know, uh, demand sources like uh, Asia, you know, China. Yeah, it's and, longer uh, to ship it. That's it. It's longer to yeah. ship it. But, you know, they still want it. So why would they not take uh, it? You know, that's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't think right now under the current predicament with the high gas prices and potential shortages across the world that they're going to have, you know, customers not prepared to, to acquire that. And, you know, if you look at uh, India and China, you know, they, they still work with Russia on the same daily basis and they still partner with them in multiple things. So, so it shows the limitations of a lot of sanctions against them is if you don't get the, you know, essentially the, the biggest economy in the world, which would be China, and India is now, you know, at what point are they going to be number two economy? Yeah, they'll be like probably in the top five right now, but by 2050, potentially, they're talking about India being the number one economy in the world, just purely based on population growth, you know? And then the fact that they've got a huge trading partner with them next door with Pakistan. So as they will operate with them, you know, as another country with way over 200 million people that's operating next door, the ease of people like uh, Europe all wanting to work with India, UK wants to do everything through India now as well. They're signing agreements constantly with India, replacing a lot of the trade that Europe are doing with the EU. They're now going out to India. Boris Johnson's all the time, no matter what you think of him as prime minister, he wants to develop the relationships with India more and more because he trusts the Indian economy and working with Indian people due to previous British relationship that they do working with the Chinese. And to a certain yeah. extent, they want to build that and they see the opportunity with that as well. And there's huge amounts of Indian people in the UK. You know, I've got a lot of friends who are Indian, grew up with uh, Indian people. There's, there's, there's not one town in Scotland that doesn't have an Indian restaurant in it. You know, that's how popular it is, you know. You get McDonald's wow. in every town here, but that's how popular it is there. Yeah, in, in actual fact, there's a Chinese restaurant in every town in Scotland as well. Wow. <laughs> so Crazy. it's like, yeah, yeah, there's not McDonald's in every, every town, but I guarantee there's two of those. So, you know, these things are happening. So people start to understand that. So when you, if you think of going forward, you know, it's this global economy, but people need to realize that, and a lot of manufacturing is going to start going to India. So what you're going to find is that when you go into Walmart, when you go into Tesco's, when you go into Target, you're going to, if you start looking at the labels and the labels say made in China, made in China, made in China, 
But now you're going to start to see a lot saying made in India, made in India, made in India. And they've been opening a lot of coal plants. I think in lockdown over a two-year period, they opened 51 coal plants. Like, and these are huge industrial coal plants to help power industrial factories to provide product for us. In the same way, that's what happens in China. So they're now starting to completely ramp up production. And then internationally, people understand that Indian products now good. You know, you don't think that yeah. power cables, everything coming out of India. I was involved in the power cable business before as well. Their products originally were seen as they can only produce the sort of low voltage, medium voltage, house wiring sort of garbage stuff. It was always seen as the low end of the market space. Not anymore. It's all high end products now coming out of there. And then we're happy working with them. And then it's like a massive industrial revolution for a huge population that essentially speaks English, you know, quite often as their first, if not second language for everyone in the country. So from a business perspective, it makes it very easy for people to work with India. And then India, apart from Pakistan next door, which they'll be essentially fighting forever with about whatever else they've been involved in history, you know, ultimately, they don't go out there and they don't cause many problems in the international market space. Therefore, you know, we are prepared to work with Russia. We are prepared to acquire Russia's gas at this point. You know, I'm thinking about the Indian economy. I'm not thinking about what's happening in Europe right now. If you guys don't want to buy it, we want to purchase it. And that's it. And that's the Indian prime minister's stance on it, you know. And if he's thinking yeah. about his economy, he doesn't want to have blackouts there. He wants to basically drive his economy forward and he sees opportunity. And that's why India is going to be one of these countries that's going to be at the forefront of everything going forward. Blockchain. It's like they're the forefront of blockchain right now. The massive investment in schools, everything. They're starting to do blockchain. You know, what schools do, yeah. do blockchain here? You know, you tell us a little bit about what you learned from Bitcoin and how you managed to get in the Bitcoin Academy, because you're unusual compared to most Americans. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've had a very, you know, privileged experience with uh, this industry and uh, I've definitely a lot of a lot of good things to say. You know, there's, you know, it's been. But you went to the Bitcoin Academy, so, you know. How do you well, get yeah, into Bitcoin Academy then? Got it. The, the Bitcoin Center. That was um, that was uh, something we kind of created. You know, we created it and um, we wanted to create an opportunity, um, you know, and be the first, the first ones to do that in New York City. And I heard about it from a friend, you know, and I, I just went out and uh, to see, you know, you know, hey, how can I get my foot in the door with this? And, you know, how can I become uh, the most successful in this industry, accumulate a bunch of coins and, you know, stuff like that. And how long have you there for? Um, I did that for really, you know, physically there. I was there quite a bit in the... Um, I think it was the winter, spring of 2014, and things started to kind of cool off. You know, I kept in touch with all the people over the years. Um, you know, it changed and morphed a little bit in New York City. And then eventually, you know, um, things came back around. We did the Bitcoin Center in Miami. You know, we did Bitcoin Center in Miami, and that was a, a really great opportunity as well. It was, you know, a fantastic opportunity. And... Uh, you know, I, I definitely, um, you know, I have a lot of good things to say, you know, about the, that time. You know, it was uh, fantastic. Yeah. So if you thought, let, let's just talk about it a little bit more. So if you're going into these Bitcoin centers, so nearly everyone would have an IT background or were they coming from all walks of life? Absolutely not. That's actually not the case. Um, you know, most people... Most people didn't, you know, you know, there's a lot of people that did, did, but most, uh, the greater percent of these people did not have an IT background, you know, and they were, uh, you know, essentially just coming in, they were curious, they wanted to see, you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, this, this new money technology and, uh, they would just wander in, you know, all sorts of different people. And even though we were located right in the financial district they weren't always finance people you know 
especially in the case of, yeah, you know, Erica, you know, shout out to Erica. She's awesome. Um, you know, we, we had some really great people there, you know, Erica and, um, you know, another gentleman named Scott that did some great stuff. And, you know, um, a really good friend of mine, Matthew Mano, who, uh, was also kind of a core team member and, uh, it was just a fantastic, fantastic, uh, experience where we were bringing in people that weren't always, they weren't always tech people. They weren't always IT people. They were people that were coming from all sorts of different industries and backgrounds. Um, you know, and that there was cultures too, you know, we had a lot of people who were, um, you know, from Latin America, they were from Latin America and they had come to the Bitcoin center. Cause you know, Miami has a very, you know, uh, deeply rooted Latin culture. And uh, that was a wonderful addition to have, you know, at the center. And I learned so much, you know, it's, you know, it's so vibrant and colorful and, um, you know, to have just all of these different, this medley of culture coming together and, you know, see all the different uses there are for Bitcoin. And especially in the case of, you know, folks from Venezuela who are dealing with, you know, there's a you know, dictator, Maduro, you know, Maduro was doing some pretty terrible things to his people. And also through his Marxist policies and, you know, um, you know, kind of sidestepping the global financial system in, in a way that's not good, you know, in a way that was very destructive of the local economies. You know, many people from Venezuela were extremely, extremely um, inclined to learn about Bitcoin and how it could help them, how it could help them get money back home, how it could help them, you know, even transact within, you know, kind of this uh, extremely limiting economy, probably the second most limiting economy on earth after uh, Cuba. And, it, you know, it's very interesting how they took hold of uh, opportunity. And, you know, there's some great stuff, uh, Here's, you another know. Comment. Here's another comment from Robin just now. I Robin, I was involved a bit with the concept change with Scott Spiegel. We should definitely get Robin to come on and tell more people about this because it's it's so interesting. It's an interesting point as well. It's just like oh yeah, man. It's um, it's very interesting, and I know those guys are um, you know, it's actually kind of leads to a really interesting thing here. You know, Bit Basil was something that Scott um and Another really awesome gentleman, Jorge Cortez, uh, went off as a kind of a Miami uh, art event. You know, they, they did Bit Basil, and that was, um, they've been pretty successful with that in, um, you know, kind of the, the Wynwood area. So if you're ever in town, check out the Bit Basil events. They're wonderful. Um, I, I have only good things to say about Scott. And Jorge, you know, they've done such an incredible job bringing together that community and doing it, doing it in a meaningful way where, um, you know, that they're taking sometimes, you know, students that know nothing about Bitcoin or nothing about NFTs and they're finding an area to get people excited. It's a, it's a, it's a great ground zero for learning, you know, and these people, you know, go out of their way to make everybody comfortable. So that's what I really like. Yeah. And I, I think it's when you start thinking, why, why is it so uh, huge interest in places like South America, not only Venezuela, but all over South America. And essentially, you know, you touched on a couple of key points there as well. When, you know, it, it, the problem with a lot of these sort of Marxist policies, and I know you get your sort of far left pushing this type thing is, you know, the, the problem with that type system is that the money is held at the very, very top. So there's a very few amount of people own everything and then everyone else is poor. There's no middle class, oh, there's yeah. no thing. There's so many different things that are just working up from that, you know? And then they yep. control the banks and then they don't care if inflation goes up. You know, they try to control it, but they don't actually care. They'll print money, they don't care, they own everything. And at a worm like that, they can take everything. And then suddenly... You know, the, the, the second currency that's always available in these places is the U.S. dollar. 
Now, if the U.S. is friendly with that in these countries, they'll, they'll, let, they'll accept the dollar. The U.S. dollar, if you go to the banks, they'll want to deal in dollars more than they want to deal with their own currency. But if they're not so friendly with the U.S., and these things can change with whims and stuff like that as well, and what's <laughs> happening out there, and then suddenly you're just dealing with their own currency and that's it. So then there's no way for these people to hold any wealth whatsoever. And then suddenly you've got this financial system whereby, yes, we've seen Bitcoin going down. We spoke about that. But, you know, we've seen the economy tank as well. And the, the Nasdaq basically lose a third of its value in six months as well. So let's not just be totally down on Bitcoin because if the Nasdaq's losing a third of its value, then, you know, essentially cryptocurrencies can do that as well. But then suddenly you've got this currency which is essentially holds a store of value. And this store of value, that government can't take from you. It's out with their system. And they don't like that. People don't like yeah, that. It's... And it gives people in countries whereby dictators run the country and they can basically go into your bank account, clean it out, they can do whatever they want to you. Suddenly you've got some form to hold wealth out with the system. And I think that's what's key as well, you know? Yeah, it's... Um, there's a, there's another message from Robin. Let's see. It's the Perfect. truth. It's the truth. You know, I, um, you know, I don't think we got the, the chance to meet. But, uh, yeah, there were very many uh, great businesses and hackathons and so many things that have come out of this over the years. Uh, if you look back at the original New York Center... If you look back at the, um, you know, Miami Center, there are so many great things and so many great careers that came out of this. It's incredible. And, um, you know, one really awesome thing is here, too, um, you know, we're looking at um, we're doing a new push on the uh, New York Center here where, you know, 2307 Broadway we're doing a new push on that. Um, you know, you, we, we need folks that are, you know, bright, enthusiastic minds that are, you know, using the resources before them to uh, transform the world and industry. And that's, you know, we need that, you know, so we're looking to, to, uh, you know, take a whole new generation, you know, of, uh, thought leadership and, uh, foster it within these centers and also you know uh expand expand our reach you know throughout the you know i would say the new york and uh, miami areas you know we want enthusiastic you know thought leadership and folks that are um you know really want to see you know the next generation learn about this tech so it's uh very important very very important Thank you, Robin. Yeah, yeah, appreciate the comments, Robin. You know, that's excellent. And it just brings to a lot of what we're talking about. Another point we were wanting to bring up today as well is, you know, the NFTs and security tokens. So just to give a bit of insight, and then obviously Miami is probably the hottest place in the country for NFTs anyway right now. So when they have, you know, the big NFT events in Miami, they're absolutely huge. So just to, you know, give a bit of a background on the difference with NFTs and security tokens to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and stable coins. Got it. Yeah. So, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, looking at, uh, you know, Bitcoin, it's, it's an interesting case here because that's the only uh, currency that the SEC chair Gary Gensler has said that he wants to identify as a commodity at this point in time. It's what he said. Um, a lot of people operated believing, um, you know, that maybe they might open up a little bit more and they might be uh, open to uh, other interpretations. But for now, that is, you know, it's interesting that they've taken that approach. Um, I think that there's going to have to be, I, I don't think that the way things currently are as far as pointing way back to, um, you know, 100 year old securities laws. I don't think that's the correct situ uh, our solution. I don't think that's the correct solution at all. I think the solution is to develop new policy that is beneficial to fostering innovation and making sure that there's, 
you know, there's room for failure, there's room for, you know, building something new. Um, but ultimately, that what's being built is something that brings economic value. In the case of the SEC to the United States, economic value where there's a product being developed, there's an industry that it's within that was, you know, um, really what I focused on in the oil and gas industry and doing things with blockchain there is I saw an opportunity. The opportunity was, hey, this industry is struggling to meet its commitments when it comes to net zero and through utilizing blockchain technology to track the carbon emissions. And then on the other side of things, offset the emissions and make sure both of those pieces are reliable. That's huge. You know, so that's where I saw that opportunity. But unfortunately, I think the um, extreme deregulation, uh, you just push things more towards, um, you know, meme coins and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with it. But um, that's just that's just what it ended up being. So um, but with, uh, you know, the NFTs, I think that there's utility there, too. You know, like I said, I think that there's a lot to be had for the NFT technology and carbon credits, you know, using that just the core technology of what an NFT is at a very basic fundamental level to uh, track and trace carbon offset programs. I think there's so, so go over to... the, you know, because obviously I'll start speaking about security tokens won't show up for the 20 minutes. <laughs> no, but um, if you start thinking about like, what's, you know, so what's the core technology of NFTs? That would be the ERC 721 contract. So that's, um, that is a, a very fundamental basic level the, the core contract that uh, any NFT is going to use, any NFT that you've ever seen out in, there. In layman's term for people, how does that actually function? Uh, well, basically it creates a, you know, a fungible token is like, um, you know, any other token like Ethereum tokens, you know, that's a fungible token. Uh, where there's, you know, monetary value, it's traded, you know, it's something that's, you know, going up and down on a chart. It's simple. Okay. A fungible token for people out there to know. Yeah, it's, it's a fungible token. A non-fungible token is something where there are um, there's an inherent quality of uniqueness. You know, it like a um, you know it could be attached to a JPEG image or some other kind of file. You know, so that's um, you know that that's the basis, the core of an NFT, and that's where you have all of these you know. And then uh, there are sets. how that uh, evolves into tracking carbon emissions in the blockchain then. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, there's ERC-721 and ERC-1155. 721 is an individual, like one token that is individually unique. Um, you can mint, you know, sets where, but every one of them is a unique photo or JPEG, whatever. But the 1155 lets it so you can make one photo and then there's 10,000 of that one photo. So there's like multiple copies. It's like there's multiple prints of the same trading card. Um, with carbon credits, both of these contracts are extremely helpful um, because you're able to say, because every carbon offsetting program is very unique. You know, it's the, none are the same, you know, there's so many different ways to reduce emissions and be extremely effective in how we're addressing climate change. Um, you know, there's things from forestry credits to, um, you know, even biodiesel credits. There's, uh, you know, other forms as well, you know, mangrove credits. There's all sorts of different things you can do and governments will issue credits to, you know, the companies doing those uh, activities. What we want to do is we want to take it a step further, though, and make it so, you know, there there really is a couple certifying agencies out there. There's uh, the gold standard and Vera, but I see an NFT is the silver bullet like that. You know, there there should be you know a standard for the metadata that you put in there, but it's very simple. You put in the coordinates of the project, you put in what the project says it's going to do a synopsis, all in the metadata of the NFT, so that. That data travels with the NFT. It's hashed onto the blockchain. It can never be changed. And what makes this extremely special is the fact that then anybody can go in there and it's like, well, 
20 years down the line, let's look, you know, or even a year down the line, let's look on Google Maps, let's look from the satellite imagery and let's see, you know, is there trees where they said they planted trees? You know, was there trees there before? And, you know, compare, contrast. And, you know, just off of that basic data that's on the blockchain, it's public for everybody, as it should be in a carbon credit program. If you're saying that a credit is removing carbon and a tree is being planted, you know, it's not like, I mean, the oil industry guys, this is what I learned to hate about these guys, is they're going to constantly, till the end of time, they're going to lie. I mean, these people, they're going to lie until, you know, 95% of people that work in that industry are going to lie until they're laying in their deathbed and they're going to be laying in their deathbed and they're going to be tell they'll tell you, Oh, I'm not dying. But the, you know, the chart will say otherwise they're liars. They're the biggest liars in the world, but with the carbon credits, we need to counter the biggest liars in the world with a good system. And, you know, an NFT is a public system of transparency and, you know, good doing, you know, and that's why I loved it. I love it because it's very simple. You put, coordinates in there what is the credit supposed to do and then finally you know the third thing is is you're going to say well who is the credit issued to you know and you know it is you know issue it to the person that made it and it gets me fired up because it's awesome you know it's like there's no reason you should hide anything about a carbon credit program like there is absolutely no reason in the world because you're not going to make more money hiding things about it you're going to make more money off of the credit if people know the whole 100% truth about the credit, because, you know, it's like, well, you know, some trees, you know, are removing more carbon, some less carbon, but, you know, with the clandestine nature of the oil industry and, you know, honestly, the fact that, um, you know, these, these companies that they do is the, you know, they, they take somebody, if you work for an oil company, I don't work for an oil company. So it's like, I'm comfortable saying this. I don't want to work for an oil company. I don't care. They could pay me all the all the money in the world. I don't want to work for them. I want to get, sell them a solution. I would never work for them because what they do is they train their employees to be liars. They like when people lie because it helps them cover up all the terrible things that they do. You know, they they do terrible things. They're dumping oil into the rivers of Nigeria or whatever. They don't want anybody to know that ever. You know, um, but at the end of the day you know, the truth of the fact of the matter is, is people are, you know, kind of dependent on the products they offer and, you know, out of sight, out of mind to a certain degree. And I think um, with the carbon offsetting, it's a start. If we could just be honest about the programs and be honest about what they're doing, it's a big start because um, it's going to jump in there and make it traceable. Like, okay, like, let's not look at things where things are getting worse. That's easy. You know, you can look at the Niger River Delta and see things are getting much, much worse there for the people that live there. They can't even fish. You know, they can't get food for their family. It's terrible. But, you know, you could look at something happier. The carbon credits are definitely a happier story because, you know, if you look in an area of the Amazon rainforest and you see that block of rainforest, Google does it every year where they look over the whole earth. It was empty the year before. If somebody goes in and fills it, you know, it's wonderful. And you can tell, too, by the way that the trees are planted when they're planted in perfect rows, you know, and evenly spaced apart, you know, God doesn't plant trees that way. You know, people plant trees that way. And it's very, very easy to tell. Yep. It's very easy to tell when, you know, a good carbon credit program is happening because the trees are planted in the perfect rows and you could tell that people planted them. So. Yeah. Plus I think it's, you know, you're talking about, the problem with a lot of the carbon credit system as well is there's just so many charlatans in that system itself. So people are going yep. into carbon credits to actually make money. You know, it, yeah. there's no, there's nothing else. There's not even a hint of it. So you speak to all these people as I'm doing this carbon credit system, I'm going to make millions and millions of dollars. Well, that sounds good, but you're actually going into something to exploit it without actually trying to solve the problem. And then the whole thing is so disjointed with so many people doing it now that there's not one central system that they can actually stick to. And then the other problem is it, it, it becomes this bit of like, 
them making money out and then it comes back to greenwashing and everything we've spoken about before as well as like people trying to use yeah. that greenwash and really are these trees getting planted and the amount of companies now who say they're involved in um carbon credits a bit like amber heard donating the seven million dollars to the charities i've pledged yeah. it you know it's like i've done yeah, the yeah. carbon credits i've went there well, wait a minute, there's not one tree planted and you've been pledging it for years and years and years. And I think that's the problem with the system as well, whereby if it can be designed, Garrett, whereby it's not making huge amounts of money and it's there for just pure transparency and that part of the blockchain provides the transparency, then suddenly people can buy in and trust it. But the problem you've got is there's so many people going into it right now and it's all about exploitation and making money with your carbon coin or whatever, how your carbon coin works. But in actual fact, it's not actually doing what it's set out to do, which is to actually, you know, replace trees with this carbon credit system, you know, or pull carbon out or track carbon emissions. And then it all comes back to, there's so many levels and layers on this anyway, which is part of the problem. But it's also, the solution quite is not even better than the current answer, which is obviously part of the problem as well, whereby there's a lot of people getting into this. And I know you're bashing a lot of oil companies there, but a lot of the transition in energy, and I get it because the, the way the oil companies have to operate in the US compared to the way they operate, operate in Africa are two different standards. You know, and yeah. we are happy to take oil from Africa, whereby yeah. there's basically, let's dump all, like, oh, we've had a huge oil spill in the Niger, you know, everything's covered if, in if oil. If you let them do it, if they, if they know they can get care, away with it, that's Because the... it's just some black people in Africa, and we don't care about them, you know? That's what that's the sad it's, reality is. It's, it's, and then, it's but then you've got it all mixed up yeah. whereby we should be producing the energy here and being regulated and seeing what's going on. And you should regulate it out there as well and not rip out their yeah. natural resources and out of the countries. Because, you know, if you look at some of the, and it's not as like all the oil companies, you know, they don't pay their taxes to some of these African countries as well. I saw in Nigeria and they made a list of tax bills and it was like absolutely ridiculous. It was like 40, 40 million, 2 billion, 6 billion. It's incredible you know? because it's like, it's like I, you know, money that they've decided just not to pay the country and that's money. So yeah. you've ripped out their natural resources. Yeah. Some, a lot of some Nigerians have made a lot of money out of it. The smart ones is a few amount, but the general people are getting shafted way worse than you think the poorest in society get shafted in a place like America. Whereby essentially yeah. our, you know, the, the poverty lines like thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars, where the poverty line out there is, you know, thirteen, fourteen dollars. You know, that's the the, the sad reality of what, what it is, and we don't it's care. It's depressing because they they need these resources to, you know, they need these resources properly used in the same standard that we use them. They need those resources to get ahead and you know to rapidly industrialize their their countries and economies. And when, you know, these Western companies come and just basically, they, you know, they take it and they do it the wrong way too. you know, it ends up in the river. Yeah, so but good. then their governments are involved. It's all compliance all the way up. You know, you back our government, yeah. you'll be there as well. I'll sign the agreements to let you come in and do this. We'll get there. You know, if you think of a place like Iraq, all the Iraqi oil companies, they own essentially 20 percent of the oil. So, yeah. so the agreement is, yeah, it's our, it's our company. We own 20%, but 80% is going to the foreign oil companies coming out. So a lot of people don't even realize that. Well, wait a minute, it's an Iraqi oil company, but it's actually, uh, they're using Exxon, Shell, BP, Gazprom. It doesn't PetroChina. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, it's all of them are in together, all making money together, they all work together. You know, if uh, the world operated in the way the oil companies operate, they actually work together. You know, they don't have wars against each other. They just they're in business together. You know, they're able to partner. We can partner. ExxonMobil is happy to work with PetroChina and an oil project in Iraq. You know, which is something to be said for that. Because when it goes onto the public stage and you've got politicians involved, then suddenly everyone's your enemy, which I think is something also it's not the best. But, you know, that's a good insight to what an NFT can do for people out there. So it's not just a JPEG of a bored ape. Garrett's explained to you how an NFT can work 
And if you can create the system and the system to get bought into, which creates more transparency and make this as cheap as possible and transparent and essentially free, then th this becomes a standard. And that's going yeah. to, that's going and, to, what's going to happen with you it. Know, you, you flip the script. I mean, I would love to see it happen the other way where it's like, okay, people could know exactly where the oil is being drilled because it prevents situations like what happens, you know, every day in Nigeria and happens every day in Ghana it happens every day in Senegal. It prevents that because people would look and they'd see it's not just this once every six months, you'll see it on Bloomberg, you know, special about, Oh, how horrible, you know, the environmental crisis is. People can get on there and they can see every day an active report of, okay, what is Shell doing to patch up down there? What is, what are, what is X company doing to fix the situation they cause, you know, which they're supposed to fix their court mandated to or, fix. Yeah. Or put an infrastructure in these places, yep. you know, cause the one yes. thing is it's like the infrastructure can't just be the oil pipeline, you know, exactly. The infrastructure has these to be people roads, there has to be schools, there has to be the roads, water education. They have uh, wonderful, obviously. they have a wonderful education system. You know, it's, I was amazed how much, you know, the people I've spoken to that live in, you know, West Africa, how intelligent they are when it comes to oil. They know everything about it because they, they teach it in the schools. Everybody knows about, you know, the oil microbiology, you know, the sulfur, the gravity. They, they know all about it. They're very intelligent, smart people. Um, and, you know, I would hope, you know, as, as we transition off of, you know, fossil fuels, I would hope with all of my heart and soul that they're able to use the same, you know, the resources that, you know, we took from them for so long to industrialize and build themselves up. And they no, want they nothing more product, than that. Everything will be coming there, you know? The yeah. Moving could, way, you know, plus just from they could be, as well, you know, these so. developing economies have so much opportunity and um, it, it just needs to be, they just need to be enabled. Through education is um, the key. Education—it education. allows people to get ahead. You know that's the key with everything. When you stop yeah. people getting access to education and stop them being able to learn themselves, that's the key for everything. You know, and it's just like whatever we want to do, and especially because we've got all this technology where everything's online now. You know, there's no reason why people can't get good education anywhere in the world anymore. There is absolutely oh, yeah. no reason at all. You know, you think of the huge companies, your Microsofts, your Apple, you know, they can be providing product into these areas. We need to hold these people accountable and what they're up to because we don't at all. People don't care what Apple do. They'd be, everyone thinks Apple's great. We don't care how yeah. much CO2 emissions Apple pump into the atmosphere. So much more than Bitcoin, you know, so much a more lot. than Bitcoin. Microsoft, so much more than Bitcoin. It's like, but we don't go mad at Microsoft because we like their product. You look at it, little things like this little charger brick, you know, you the, all the cords it's and of, stuff. It's made from coal. It's made from, it's it's made from coal. It's made from coal. And off, it, you know, it, it's made the, from the coal. It's made from coal. It's made labor, <laughs> and then it ends up in the landfill. Yeah, and you know, it just ends up in the landfill. The whole thing, you know? But we don't care about that because we just want to say, well, we don't like Bitcoin. But the benefits of Bitcoin that we spoke about earlier into these places like Venezuela to give them a, an ability to hold money that's not controlled by the government and gives them a little bit of independence. You know, that's that's huge for these people. And then they, they wait, totally I want to learn about this technology. And then the thing about it is, is a reset as well. You know, the industrial revolutions have been coming in different times. Technology has been arriving at different times. The blockchain coming along, which is essentially a transfer of value through the internet, you know, we'll talk about security tokens, you know, we can bring that up in other ones as well. But, you know, these are asset-backed tokens. They, they spoke yeah. about what it is. There's, there's value behind this. This technology is coming in, and 20 years from now, nearly, you know, be so many jobs will be based on this technology. You know, at what percentage oh, yeah. of there? It's going to be huge because all the industrialization and the labor-filled jobs are going because of AI. And all the jobs in the future is going to be through this technology. And people need to understand that. But the great thing is, if you're in an inner city area and you're talking about the Bitcoin Academy or you're from another area whereby this technology is new for everyone, you're not falling behind. The universities are playing catch up now, you know? 
They, oh they yeah, the universities. That. Because they can't. There was a couple. Blockchain, Harvard. Yeah. Google it. Blockchain, MIT. Blockchain. This university, Oxford, Cambridge. They're all doing blockchain courses now, but they can't do a four-year degree because it's so new. You can't go in there exactly. and just say, "Well, I'm just becoming a doctor from Harvard." And because you lot can't afford the doctor's education, none of you can do it. And they obviously need a, a level of intelligence as well. But you're you're limited because you can't access it by finance. And then suddenly this technology has come along, this revolutionizing the world so fast, that especially in third world countries, whereby India is going big into blockchain, you know, like big. They're, they're training millions of people. America's missing the boat with this. In 15 years from now, we'll look back when India is the number one economy in the world, and we'll think, wish we invested more money into blockchain. But if you're in inner city areas and there's these, this, and you can't get out and you're struggling for education, suddenly go and do these courses. LinkedIn does free courses for it, introductory yeah. courses. You know, these other universities go there, six months, 12 months training, cybersecurity. It's all there now for people to come in there. You know, you don't have to do a five year degree to become someone involved in it. Do something for six months, 12 months. The companies will train you about their cybersecurity systems. Just learn the absolute basics and you're in. You know, and it's just people need to see that. That's what it is. And it's weird because the universities and that don't want to push that narrative because they want to keep they want to keep the money train going. They want to have the system whereby we want you to go to this place for five years. And I'm not digging. I went to university and it's good. It's a good fun, you know. Don't get knocked me back. But there's five years, and if you don't go that, you've got to have a low-level job. It doesn't work like that anymore. The whole system's mm-hmm. getting bypassed and changed, you know? It's, and if you're sitting at home, you're changed. this. Online education. Yeah, online there's education. There's so many different... Don't let people um, put you down. Don't listen to people putting you down, you know? It's yeah. Like, I'll tell you what, these people in the poorest parts of the world, they're coming in South America, all these places... They're fast-tracking this, you know? There's Jay-Z oh, yeah. and uh, Dorsey last week. We spoke about them going there a couple of weeks yeah. ago. They're That's doing it. a Bitcoin, and they're going into Queens. We're going to do a Bitcoin. Forget AOC. You know what I mean? You've made $60 million. You've done a few things. Bang, bang, bang. You seem to be involved in national politics. But when it comes to local politics in there, you know, you got rid of Amazon coming in. That was 100,000 jobs. Nice one in that. But, you know... Let's let what you're doing for the inner city people. And then these guys are coming out with the system. You know what? We're setting up our own Bitcoin Academy. We're going to teach inner city African-Americans about this new technology and about this currency. And you know what? And that's what needs to happen. It bypasses the system. Who hates that system then? The governments don't like it because they're bypassing educational systems. And the universities and that don't like it. Because suddenly they're going to say, well, wait a minute. If I went to two years of uh, Dorsey's you know, Bitcoin blockchain inner city academy i'm learning more there than i can with the the blockchain course at harvard because they haven't put it in place yet you know and it's just like that's popping up and then companies are going to say well wait a minute yeah i'd like the guy from harvard but i'll tell you what this young young kids come from this he seems razor sharp everyone's got their own internal system anyway you know i'm going to hire him now or her or they and they'll come in and work for me and they, they can do this that's how it's changing people, you know? And and the thing is, with educational systems in, and, and don't get me wrong, the, you know, the universities are still excellent educational systems, but you've just, you're not bringing in a certain percentage of the population. You're leaving them to fall behind, you know? You're Hispanic, you're African-American. Whatever the, whatever the people are you want to leave behind, you're leaving them behind because they can't afford it or they can't warrant Putting themselves 200 grand in debt, you know? But suddenly exactly. the thing's all popping up, and it's just like, well, wait a minute. These guys are giving this for free. Or it's like, just, you know, or pay $5,000 to get a free computer, you know? So I'm going to do this instead. And they do that there. And once suddenly people start employing and companies start employing people like that, it changes. It has to change. The university systems have to change to basically help the poorest people in society because the technology is not going to wait for them to change anymore. And that, you know, you can get people trying to suppress the technology coming through, but once people understand blockchain and see the benefits of it, it's just like, it's upgrading the financial system. You know, the financial system is basically running on, you know, it's basically running on a train track. It's like, it's like a train track, train, train, train. That's the way you've got to think about the financial system. And it can only go in one certain thing. You're all along the tracks, you know? 
and it's chugging along, chugging along. The next thing you know, this technology comes up and it's like a Tesla. It's electric. You know, it's not powered by coal. You know, yeah. this thing is electric and you can go everywhere with it. You know, you don't have to stick to this track. And that's what a crazy thing's coming in, you know? Yeah. Oh, here we go. This is Robin's obviously watching. Like, only two universities teach blockchain in their schools of engineering in the US. So yeah. Go, you know what I mean? That's what it is. And the universities have to understand they're missing out, you know? And I'm glad. And it, it, I'm, you know, what I'm so happy about is the fact that Dorsey and Jay-Z are going to do this. And if it works once, I hope they do in every single major city in America, you know? In five years from now, 10 years from now, everyone goes, I'm going to Dorsey's and Jay-Z's place. Because that's where you learn the most. Because it's hands-on, you know? And that's what's crazy with that as well. Here we go. Robin's got another comment as well. We need more robust programs along with grassroots education. That's exactly it, you know? That's where we need yeah. to see. That's, that's the future of what it is. God, we're up to... I thought we were going to struggle to get content. We're past the time already, as usual, Garrett. <laughs> It's like, how yeah, do you we always you know, everyone, to right, talk about. Guide, well, right, we're stopping 11 o'clock on the dot. You know, I mean, everyone's back to lunch in Texas. Yeah. Unless they work in the oil industry and they're drinking. So it's, uh, <laughs> but you can't buy, I love the oil industry where they got it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it. And we'll talk about that there as well. But the stuff <laughs> that they do out in Africa that they try to hide, I'm not into that. And yeah. I agree with that as well. But, you know, yeah. the technology of what's come into this has been good. So we'll just nip to chewing the cud, the last thing of the day. And, you know, there's, it's a lot. It's so topical right now with so many things are happening out there. And you want oh, to, yeah. You, you, yeah, maybe we'll just bring in one that maybe not all Americans know right now. But, you know, something from the UK, I find this quite amusing. So let's bring him in. Prince Charles accepting bags of cash so the rest of us we're moving to digital technology <laughs> bitcoin blockchain cryptos altcoins not not charlie himself back there the old prince charles now i don't know how much prince charles is actually worth you got it you know he's worth a few quid you know that's for sure when uh, when uh, not Wills, Harry and his new wife moved to Canada. You know, they, they had to foot their own. You know, the Canadian government said, we're not paying your security bill that MI6 used to cover. You'll have to pay for yourself. And he was short, like, 15 million. Old Charlie opens out their wallet. <sighs> no problem to me. Where does Charlie get his money from? Well, here. <laughs> the printer. The printer. This is all show. This is all show. This is the, the biggest piece of show, I think, because... Here's well, the deal. I think they got to be so close to the money printer that they just, you know, well, that they have to make well, it seem real. They have to make money seem real. That's why they do stuff like this. Well, Sheikh Hamad bin Jasmine bin Jabber Ali Thani, great <laughs> prime minister. I've brought, I've probably, you know, butchered his name coming up to the World Cup. I'll, I'll definitely get it right before I go there. But it's basically. He apparently gave Prince Charles three bags of cash only, carrier bags of $3 million. Obviously, you know, you're the future king of the country. Maybe you should think, maybe, you know, should I accept this money? Obviously not. Charlie took the cash straight away. <laughs> but don't worry, people. He put it to a good cause. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, well, that's... There's a letter. They have to, come out. It's put to, they have to create that look. That's the most important thing that, like, oh, he's got to take bags of cash, you know, like little baggies yeah. in it. What, it was only $3 million? No, no, but he, he said he accepted bags for cash for his charity. Oh, it's for his charity, and he's not going to let it happen again. <laughs> oh, my God, this guy. And, and that's like one country. It's like, wait a minute. Does every country Charles goes to, they give him a bag of cash, you know? You never know. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's uh, yeah, anyway, right. good to see that as we're moving to the digital age, Charlie is still uh, keeping things going back in the, the old system of uh, cash is king. And let me have a look and see if uh, who's coming up there. Who, oh, look who's, look at my favorite royal, the queen, Bond. Take out the one with the big ears. <laughs> Bond, the ginger one. There it is. If in doubt, the queen, she still keeps going. 
because basically, you know, is the whole thing going to collapse once she steps out and she's no longer the queen of the country, you know? She's held it yeah. together through a thick and thin, still keeps going. Don't know who the, this guy assistant is right there as well, but it's always good. There she is, a bit bigger now there. There's the queen with Bond, you know? Anything that needs to be done, Bond heads over to Her Majesty's Palace, takes care of it, Bond, the ginger one in uh, uh, California. <laughs> He's talking too much to Oprah. So revealing the family, the family secrets, you know what I mean? So anyway, Garrett, it's, it's always good to bring up the royal family. Americans love the royal family. <laughs> Apparently they don't like um, Prince Harry so much anymore and his wife, Meghan Markle, you know? Yeah, that's, I think it's... He's uh... gone down, apparently. I think it was a lot to do with their $100 million one episode for Spotify. You know how much money Spotify's paid us for 43 episodes so far? Nothing. Nothing. So, <laughs> $100 million one episode. We're obviously doing the wrong types of topics, you know. <clears throat> but that that's basically it. So, well, that's good to see. We'll always keep bringing the Queen in uh, there. You know, I'm still wanting Scotland to be independent, you know, vote for independence. Apparently, there's another vote coming up in 2023. Everyone get out there. But, you know, there'll be a few royalists out there who'll still be supporting the Queen. But, you know, once the Queen's not around, we've got to remember that Prince Charles is in charge and he's happy to take bungs from the Qatari Prime Minister, you know? No wonder they got this. Charles in charge. Charles (laughs) in charge. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't be doing that again. (laughs) I can't believe that's his press comment. But don't worry, I won't be doing that again. All right, that's fine. You know what I mean? We we only invaded 93% of the world. Took all their natural resources. Don't worry, we won't be doing that again. <laughs> exactly. That's how you get away with it. Americans need to learn a thing or two. You know, Trump's too combative when he does stuff. You know what I mean? Riles yeah. people up the wrong way. You know, you just have to do it the way the Queen does it and she just keeps going. So, on that light note, anyway, Garrett, thanks very much for another episode of Boom It's on the Blockchain. You bet. A lot about the Bitcoin, stable coins, a little bit about NFTs, you know, what Prince Charles is up to in terms of he's not taking bungs, it's for his charity, and he won't be doing it again, people. So, on that happy note, you've been watching Boom It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.